2: Hey there, everybody. Ready or not, here we come. It's Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Scott Schaefer, Senior Politics Editor here at The Q.
1: And I'm Marisa Lagos, part of the politics team over here. This week on The Breakdown, he's what you might call a Democratic operative, a young gun for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee known to insiders like us as the DCCC. DCCC.
2: And uh, you may not know this guy's name, but Andrew Godnich, you can call him Drew, I think, uh, he is on the front lines here in California, or Andrew. Andy? Maybe Andy. <laughs> We're going to call him, that. Uh But he is here on the front lines in California for the midterm elections. Uh, Democrats have a whole lot at stake. Some people think perhaps on election night, California will decide which party, uh, in fact, controls the House. They're targeting seven or so congressional seats now held by Republicans. We're going to talk to him about... All those things.
1: Yeah, no pressure, Drew. No pressure. His mic is off. He can't say anything. Yeah, he can't say anything, but we we just want him to know that we know that the balance of Congress hangs in his hands. That's right.
2: And that, I'm sure, is going to (laughs) frighten Democrats up and down the state. (laughs) But first, but first on a more serious note... Uh, There are wildfires yet again. It seems like they've been burning nonstop uh, throughout the state. Yosemite Park has been evacuated. Uh, Redding, there's a fire. Idlewild. And, of course, Marisa, you covered the the terrible fires uh, up in the North Bay, Sonoma, Napa, Mendocino. And this week, Governor Brown uh, released a proposal to sort of ease the liability uh, for some of the utility companies. And there was a, a hearing up in Sacramento. You were there. And uh, what what happened up there?
1: That's right. I mean, I, you know, I think the big news of the week was the governor's legislative proposal. This is something pg and other utilities have been pushing for and pushing for and pushing for. They say what he proposed doesn't go far enough. Uh, folks on the other side, like the homeowners who lost their homes and, and insurance companies and trial lawyers, as pg Junie likes to call them, are um, saying they hate it. So maybe the governor found a sweet spot because both sides yeah, seem that's to right. be that's unhappy. What they say when with they both
2: win. hate you, you did <laughs> yeah. something right. So can you but, g- give us a little bit a sense of, like, how is the liability going to work? I mean, it doesn't include, for example, the fires that already happened. Yeah. It goes back to January 1st. I think.
1: Right. And so I think the easiest way to explain this is that in you know, the United States in general, if you are negligent as a company and cause some sort of damage, you can get sued for it. And and nobody's proposing changing that. The question is the sort of uh, bizarre California law, if so, some would say that, uh, called inverse condemnation, don't worry about it. Um, but <laughs> <Look> it <up. laughs> yeah, exactly. But basically, what it says is that since utilities get to use public and private property for their equipment, like power lines, when that equipment damages, you know, homes or other things, they have to pay for it. And PG&E is saying, "Hey, we did everything we were supposed to do. We held up our end of the bargain. We couldn't foresee these high winds. Say in some case, so um, we want they want to change that law. And it's and it's really this huge sticking point. These wildfire hearings, though. Um, This is a committee that's tasked with basically coming up with some sort of legislation by the end of this year's session, which ends at the end of August. Yeah. So kind of interesting to me that it took them seven months to finally call this joint hearing and for this legislation to come out. Um, And so they spent yesterday four long hours uh, really sort of laying out both some of these issues around liability, but more broadly, sort of the state we're in when it comes to um, how we prepare for wildfires, how we fight them, whether we're doing enough to mitigate them. And uh, there was testimony from, you know, some academic experts and then from Cal Fire and a Southern California Utility, who's done a lot to prevent fires, um, and the head of the California Public Utilities Commission. And at the end of it, I'm going to let uh, Senator Bill Dodd, who co-chaired the hearing, uh, sort of sum up how. How folks, I think, felt after four hours in that room.
2: This panel has created more questions uh, than, what, than what you've been able to help us uh, you know, in the long run. And I'm really disappointed about that. I, I get it. This is a complex problem, and uh, the solutions to it uh, are not so simple.
1: So, I mean, you know, he wasn't slamming them in the sense that, like, he felt like anyone had been obstructionist, but it really was, I think, sort of a sobering moment for folks in the room about just how complicated this is and how many moving parts we're talking about. And I, for one, am sort of doubtful they're going to be able to solve this all in the next 30 days or so. What are
2: the politics of this? Because Bill Dodd, of course, represents sort of Napa, Sonoma, that area. Uh, But you've got fires right now in Redding, which is so to speak, a red part of California. I mean, it's a you know a lot of Republican parts of the state. So, like, how does it shake out in terms of where the partisan lines are drawn, or is it not really that kind of an issue? I
1: think, luckily, it's not as partisan as most things that we see in, let's face it, America right now. I, I will say the one thing that Republicans really have, have harped on and that they continued to yesterday was this issue of forest management and whether basically a lot of our practices of, you know, not sort of being proactive and doing more controlled burns um, have have contributed to this. So I do think that that's something that, that they're really going after Cal Fire for to some extent. But I think more broadly, this is sort of a bipartisan issue. It, it touches everybody. And, you know, a lot of it is the problem is I mentioned a lot of the constituencies around like who pays for it. I mean, those are very powerful groups I'm talking about. Utilities, you know, insurers, insurers yeah. trial lawyers, um, counties and cities are lining up because, of course, their, you know, businesses and equipment and been damaged by these fires too but i do think that you know the the other side of this is that we have let local governments have a lot of control over where we build. And so there's also this sort of tension that a lot of lawmakers talked about of, you know, not wanting, you know, we don't want to tell people, no, don't build in that area. But then are we going to compensate them when their homes burn down, when they built in an area that we knew was a wildfire danger? Yeah.
2: And, and I want to move on to another topic. Yeah. But but I know you did a lot of reporting on the Sonoma-Napa fires. And what, what 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 is the liability going to be for PG&E potentially?
1: Um, if they, I mean, potentially over $11 billion. Um, We're still waiting for the Tubbs fire, which is the largest, most destructive and deadly. But honestly, it doesn't matter, as you mentioned, because to some extent um, they've already been found liable because of negligence in some of these cases. So they could actually be criminally prosecuted. And whatever happens with this inverse condemnation law, it's looking like it will only start as of January this year. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I think that, you know, they posted a billion dollar losses today. They're gearing up for some hard road Ahead and and it's going to be a, a whopper of a fight. Yeah.
2: Well, another issue that uh, kind of uh, trickled out this week. It wasn't uh, like a big press conferencey kind of. Uh, of an issue. But poverty in California, the Public Policy Institute of California released some data this week about poverty. And, you know, one thing you should know about poverty is that there is the federal, the official federal uh, standard for poverty, uh, which is about $24,000 a year for a family of four. But it's the same standard whether you live in Mississippi or Silicon Valley. And so obviously it's not really reflective of the cost of housing. So PPIC, uh, they have a measure called the California uh, Poverty Measure, which takes into account the cost of housing and also the benefits that you get. And it showed that about 19% of Californians uh, live oh, so in yeah. poverty. And it's another almost as many. So about 38% total live just above the poverty line. And what was interesting is that, you know, we have these images, I think, of all of poverty in the Central Valley, you know, the Dust Bowl, the Okies, uh, farm workers, and, and there is poverty there to be sure. But the counties with the most, the highest rates uh, of poverty were L.A., Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz. And again,
1: I am not surprised by that, cost, personally. Cost yeah. of housing. I mean, I think this is something that that, that is interesting and, and I think sort of undercut some of the political rhetoric we've heard from both parties. We saw this in the governor's race, for example, where Antonio Villaraigosa, Democratic, former L.A. mayor, was really spending a lot of time in the Central Valley talking about these issues. And again, like you said, it's not as if that's not a problem there. But I think sometimes we forget that how hard it is to make it in these coastal cities where things are so expensive and not just the cost of housing.
2: Yeah, and poverty... In and of itself, hasn't necessarily been a big issue in the governor's race, but uh, you've got John Cox, the Republican, talking about uh, things like the gas tax and blaming that on the cost of living, and he says he wants to build more housing. Gavin Newsom, really, more talking about things like preschool education and increasing CalWORKs grants, that kind of thing. And it, you know, this is an issue that affects a huge number of people. I would have, I would guess a lot of them don't vote, you know, and that's probably one reason it's an issue that doesn't get as much attention as it should. Uh, but you know, we're going to be definitely covering it uh, between now and the election for sure. All right, we're going to take a very short break. And when we return, we're going to be joined by Andrew Godnich. He is on the ground in California helping Democrats pick off some Republican congressional seats. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio.
0: Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union. Now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
1: And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos, along here with Scott Schaefer. And joining us now is Andrew Godnich. His friends, maybe we're his friends, call him Drew.
2: (laughs) Does he have friends?
1: (laughs) He is the DCCC's (laughs) guy on the friend here. Guy on the ground guy here in California. I'm I'm losing my mind, Drew. How are Hi. you? Hey, welcome.
3: Welcome to Political Hi. Breakdown. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm actually not the only guy on the ground here. We actually have eight of us here. This is the first but time. But all those emails come from you. Yes, you guys are the ones <laughs> who are inundated with my emails and tweets now that you both follow me on Twitter. Yeah, as I've of, been following as you for of, an like, hour and a half. as of like five minutes ago. As yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I
1: you, bet you. Democrats are happy to hear you are not the only person. Right.
3: That's right. Like We're actually doing <laughs> some really cool um, California cycles. The first time we've opened an office outside of D.C. in one of the regions. So um, there's eight of us down there in Orange County. Um, You're all in Orange and County. We're all down in wow. Irvine in Mimi Walters district. Um, and, you know, we've actually had other field organizers who have been in the seven, seven of the 10 congressional districts that we're targeting here since so, early last year.
2: So obviously you think there's some some uh, seats to be picked up down there.
3: <laughs> yes. Um, not to not to build anymore into like Californians since how important California is. But, you know, we're, we're targeting 10 seats in California this cycle. It's out of a map of over 100. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely fair to say that the path back to the majority runs right through California. So like how, hearing about.
1: let's take that Mimi Walters seat. Like, yeah. how, how's that looking? That's, that's sort of the heart of Orange County. That's right. Uh, which is, you know, we've talked about this a lot. It's a place that is turning more blue, but is still not totally blue like how are you guys feeling
3: yeah i mean i think orange county is interesting it's a place that in the past before 2016 nobody was talking about you know democrats uh republicans alike weren't really investing in the ground or, or you know any of the resources there that we know we need to win um, but after 2016, that all changed. Hillary Clinton won Orange County. She won the 45th congressional district, Mimi Walters' seat, by five points. Mimi Walters ran uncontested. Essentially, um, that's all changed. So, now. in
2: retrospect, wouldn't it have been better to invest the ground operation in 2016?
3: Yeah, but you wouldn't have had me, and so. <laughs> well, maybe so, you would have yeah. come this time just to, you know <laughs> yeah. play cleanup. But well, no, in hindsight,
1: though, I mean everything yeah. went different in 2016. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I
3: I think very few people expected that, you know, Democrats were going to win Orange County for the first time in 80 years. And, you know, we weren't going to win the presidency. Right. Um, you know, the
1: expectation was the opposite of <laughs> yeah, that, I think. I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Um,
3: but, I, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening there. We have, you know, we're seeing this in all of these races in California. You're seeing the most qualified um, candidates who have ever run. Katie Porter, who's running into that district, uh, a consumer protection attorney. She's fought her entire career to keep Californians in their Homes after banks have foreclosed on them. I mean, that's an incredible story. A working mom, you know. Are you' spinning us here. now. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> but you should totally get to know more about Katie Porter.
2: We're going um, down there in a few weeks, so you should come we will, to our we office. We hope to meet her. Yeah, we yeah. Hope well, to meet Katie
3: uh, Porter. Yeah. But yeah, I think she's a great example of the type of folks who are running this cycle. We've
1: met her. We met her at the uh, like a year ago when she was was at the convention. At
3: the convention. At the convention. Yeah. So uh, let's just back up. Yeah, Yeah, let's
2: back up. You know, we typically when we have folks on the show, we ask the first question is, where were you born? Now we know you were born in Texas. Yeah, he keeps
1: saying y'all, so I think we have a pretty good idea. So tell us
2: about you know what was it like growing up in in you know the Lone Star state
3: yeah, yeah I'm from I'm from Galveston Texas which some of you may know um, from the
2: Glen Campbell song
3: <laughs> right <laughs> um also from a number of other country songs all my exes some in Texas Allison yeah. is from Galveston um but yeah but my family is from there we've actually uh, members of my family have been in Texas since before it was Texas um what I, was it before that it was, it was Mexico part, it was, <laughs> that's correct um you know but you know I um, so but I, I went to college out East. I, I lost my. Wait, wait, no, a we're bit. still in tech. Okay. Okay. yeah, yeah. we don't. Yeah, so, want Like, so yeah,
1: let's talk about your family. Oh, are they proud that you're <laughs> working for the D Triple C? Are they that's, Republicans? Are yeah, they Democrats? That's a good
3: segue. Um, I, my father was actually the co-chair of the Galveston County campaign for donald trump wait what really yeah <laughs> so i am you know there's definitely mixed bag my mom wait, votes is he for, a registered republican he's actually registered democrat or historically he's been a registered democrat you know, has he voted for democrats he's voted for democrats in the past folks like ann richards how about uh, folks like obama um, I don't think so. Uh, we we didn't talk about it. Wait, wait, wait. But, so
1: he's a Democrat uh, who became a huge diehard Trump supporter, right? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, I think it's something you have know,
3: to take really far a step back. <laughs> I mean, you've seen this kind of in a lot of the South, right? There's you know been historically this has been this evolution um, in the South. You know, Southern Democrats have migrated largely to the Republican Party in a lot of these states. Um, I think what you're seeing in 2018 is we're fighting for some of those folks back in places like Houston, uh, you know, like Dallas and San Antonio. There's, you know, excellent candidates running there as well. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of folks that I grew up with who, you know, who their parents remember, you know, there were registered Democrats. They remember the party um, as working for the people. But they, they, they felt, um, for whatever reason, they've fallen out of, out of place with the party. So are you
2: the lone Democrat in your family or – yeah. Who's the outlier? you or your dad
3: right. so i'm I'm actually not I'm like my mom. I hope she's not listening. I'm sorry, mom. She actually you know, she she voted for she voted for McCain and Romney. She actually voted for Bernie in the primary. In wow so Interesting. I think, and what yeah, about November? Right. in November, I you know she she came back. she or she came back to the Democratic poll and she voted for Hillary Clinton. So but there's a little little divide there. So what's so that like with you, you and your dad? Yeah, yeah
1: yeah what's it like like oh is, 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 is it is it a hard deep
3: therapy session um no <laughs> I, I you know like I, I think what's you know in the south you know we there was the expression you know you don't talk about money sex or politics so it's you know we have a very you know we have a very civil oh interesting That's a very like texan
1: do you feel like have coming from both texas and a family like this who have gone back and forth yeah. is helping you like talk to voters in these districts in orange county and places like that
3: yeah i mean like how do i say this without without slimy Bay Area liberals. I'm to try Oh, to just go ahead. do it. We yeah. get it all the time here. Even
1: if you're not a liberal in the Bay Area, you're like, lo- you know, looped in with all of that. Yeah,
3: it. yeah, yeah. No, I, I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, for, you know, Diversity of thought. For, for Diversity of thought for, you know, like seeing a state like Texas, which, you know, used to be strongly democratic. You know, it's, you know, it's migrated, most people would say, deeply into the Republican column and for, you know, understanding, you know, the issues that they're facing and like how to talk to people like
2: but, that. I but guess. as you know, there are parts of California that are more like Texas that's than right. they are like the Bay Area. And some of those yeah. targeted congressional seats like the Jeff Denham seat right. and Valadeo, even Nunez. you know, that's kind of a, a real reach. But you're, you know, so how do you talk to people and how do you talk to voters in those areas? That's
3: really excellent segue scott um yeah i think <laughs> to just to get out of texas let's get out of texas <laughs> yeah you're like oh we got too stuck in there yeah I, I think what you're what you're hearing from folks especially this cycle i mean you know we're beating this dead horse but like health care is top of mind for folks the cost of health care um you know that's an issue that doesn't have you know that's not red or blue people mm-hmm. feel that people feel that you know is that
2: like, true though because we've seen like the obamacare like if you call it obamacare you know, some people don't like it. If you call it the Affordable Care Act, they do. I mean, but doesn't
1: that kind of back up what he's saying? Like, if right. that that was painted as partisan, but really what people want is affordable health care right. that works. I yeah, think.
3: I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, actually, there was an LA Times poll in late May that actually showed that in California, likely voters, um, you know, they favor. There have sixty percent of them favor Obamacare. When you call it Obamacare, um, people understand that that's a system that works. Um, conversely, you know the the, uh, the Republican health care bill that every single congressional Republican in the state of California voted for had an approval rating in the single digits. Like, people know that didn't work.
1: How do you connect that, though? Because I don't think that everyone, especially folks who maybe don't always come out to vote or aren't super partisan, which is a growing population yeah. in California, necessarily, you know, they're not following this stuff, like, day to day. I right. mean, what are you well, guys trying to do there? Yeah,
3: I think there's probably nothing more personal than the Pay for healthcare. People do follow that. You know, people know what it's like. I guess I mean more the politics or how somebody voted or or,
1: you know. know.
3: Yeah, I I think that is something that we're seeing as, you know, motivating people across the country. We saw it in the Virginia gubernatorial primary, you know, or the gubernatorial general election. I mean this is something that, you know, people are seeing the news, they're seeing their their cost of care go up. Um they understand that, you know, taking people off, <laughs> like slashing protections for those with pre-existing conditions, like that's a lot of people in this state. People understand that that's very personal to them. So I think that's a huge motivating
2: factor yeah. to Let me saying. just uh, remind people, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Tonight, uh, we are talking with uh, Drew Godnich. Uh, he handles press yeah. for the Democratic National Campaign Committee here in California. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos.
1: Let's talk about the press. Let's talk about like the press. Do yeah, like So what do we get?
2: Wrong.
3: Um, I don't know if you guys get something wrong. I oh, won't.
2: Well, I mean, not us <laughs> in particular. It's <laughs> what I mean, off
3: the record is for. Generally. I yeah. Mean, generally, like, what? Well, they, oh, they did that again. Like, what... Yeah, that's this is a good question. This was this is a curveball. Yeah, I, I think that's something that folks are missing. I mean, that like I guess that I get to see every day is that because we live in Orange County, I live in Dana Rohrabacher's district. Um, that's a district that's historically been seen as very Republican. It has a sizable Republican registration advantage. Um, but people don't see that like how disconnected the National Republican Party and folks like Dana Rohrabacher are from really what's happening on the ground. Um, I give an example of that. Like, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, like just this last weekend, um, the largest political uh, rally in the history of Orange County took place in the 48th district the most Republican district in Orange County, a thousand folks showed up for a uh, for a training for volunteers. Right. Like people are very animated around a lot of these issues. I think Dana Rohrabacher, someone who, um, you know, he's a little eccentric. He's, Putin's favorite congressman. Putin's favorite congressman. Uh, you know, he's, you know, pals around with you know like Holocaust deniers. He's advocated for discriminating against LGBT folks in housing. I mean, that's, you know, but like Folks are fired up in a way there that they've never been before. They've never felt like they've had a chance, and I think that sometimes gets lost in the conversation.
1: So on the media thing, I mean, what (laughs) back to us, us. back to us. No, but I'm just curious because I do think that, like, you know, in your job, we sort of we called you a political operative, and I think you do. We we talked about this before we went on air. You like to spar a little bit. I've always personally, (laughs) as a reporter, enjoyed folks like you. We just met, but I'm I'm imagining you're the kind of person that we could have a screaming fight and then go have a beer all
3: the time. Yeah.
1: Um. Like, but I would say, like, what's your relationship like with reporters? And is it different being out here in California than it was being in D.C.? Yeah,
3: I, I think that being here on the ground and actually having those conversations every day with like actual voters gives me probably a little bit more credibility than you know would sometimes be the case. I think there's something like very sad happening throughout the country, but also here in California, where you know there aren't as many political reporters on the ground covering these really essential stories. I mean, Orange County, there are four top tier congressional races there, um, and there aren't enough reporters covering that. And what else happened? I,
2: mean, I don't know if you'll give us an honest answer, but, you know, of those four seats, how would you rank them in terms of the ones you're likely to pick off? Yeah,
3: I think those are all extraordinarily competitive. <laughs> I think you're going to see four new Democratic. Who would you like the most fall. to knock off? Oh, my God. I won't say that. I mean, I live in the 40. I live in Dana Rohrbacher's district. I think a lot of folks would like to would like to see new representation there. Um, but honestly, I mean, like the great thing about this cycle is I don't have to spin you. I We have great candidates running. Everyone. Well, can wait,
2: wait, wait. You're sending us press releases every day with spin, though. Oh, I, I don't know.
3: How I do mean, you, that's, that's, that's his job, job that's that's right? <laughs> solid <laughs> research back. OK, well, let's yeah. talk about
1: something about about your party, yeah. which is. Th- this narrative that we're hearing a lot, which is this sort of concern about the schism within the party, right. that the left flank is sort of going too far to the left, that, right. you know, these democratic socialist candidates are going to really hurt the sort yeah. of, you know, more like conservative or moderate Democrats in other states. What's your read on that? Because you're young and I think you probably have a different point of view than some of the people you work for who have maybe been doing this yeah. for 40 years or whatever.
3: Again, I think that's like, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I'm glad I set that up earlier. But, you know, like, because I'm on the ground, you know, like, we're talking to these folks every day. Like, people are just really fired up and, like, we're united around knocking off some of these guys. I mean... To you know, go back to my example about the you know political action we're seeing in Dan Werbacher's district. That was a very tightly contested race. I mean, Harley Ruda, the D C's candidate in that race, only scraped by with a, by 125 votes. And Rohrbacher got what, like
2: 30 percent? Only 30 you percent.
3: Know. You know, like that was a very contested primary. But I mean. We've polling came out last week showing hardly up on his opponent. I mean, Democrats, this cycle and independents and a lot of Republicans, too, because like these are Republican districts right. are, you know, they really want to see a new representation. Okay,
1: But I'm curious, because one thing that, you know, some analysts have seen and we've talked about here is like, is there sort of echoes of the Tea Party movement and, and the surge from the left? The, the same thing we saw from the right, which, of course helped Republicans retake Congress, but has also really proved to be a challenge when it comes to actually governing. I mean, is that a concern for you? Like, do you think that Democrats, is it too big of a tent if if you're talking about all these folks?
3: (laughs) I don't, you know, I I think having more people in the party is generally a good thing. Uh, But at the end of the day, I mean, like, I'm going to leave it to these candidates who have been working in their districts their entire careers or, you know, who have have records of service to understand the values that are going to resonate with their voters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're seeing that in the polling, and we're seeing these folks with can- like with campaigns that have a lot of grassroots funding being able to bring that message.
2: During uh, the primary, there was all this concern that the top two was going right. to lock out. Uh, there were going to be two, two Republicans at the yeah. top, and all these Democrats were going to divide up the yeah. vote. And you had to kind of pressure That's some right. Democrats out of the race. You had to endorse, like you said, Harley-Ruda mm-hmm. and some others just to kind of help give them a push. And it worked. You know, mm-hmm. you weren't shut out. But I'm wondering, you know, like what were those conversations like when you had to go, for example, to the My Tran down in uh, the 39th Congressional mm-hmm. District? You know, a, a Vietnamese-American woman, mm-hmm. pediatrician. Strong story. Yeah, yeah great yeah. story. How do you, so how do you say, you know what, you're not going to make it and, you know, you should drop out or, you know, we're going to endorse your op- opponent anyway? Like what was that like?
3: Yeah, I think I'm finally emotionally physically and spiritually rested, (laughs) recovered from the primary. Um, I'm sure it's the same with y'all. Yeah, I mean, those are always hard conversations. I mean, Congressman Liu said this um, a little while back, you know, it's really hard to convince folks to run. It's even harder to convince folks to to, to stop running. But at the end of the day, like the, you know, taking back the House, um, applying, you know, a check on this administration, those are really important things. And that's why we saw a lot of folks um, make that really tough choice. Folks like Jay Chen in that race, folks like Phil Janowitz, um, who, you know, they, I'm sure, still believe that they are the best qualified for those races, but also, you know, saw the bigger picture and like, you know, that we can take these seats and by splitting the vote too many ways, we were putting that at risk.
1: Do you guys, I mean... D- there was a sense that, like, maybe you guys had come in too late on some of those races. And hindsight, do you feel like the timing was all right?
3: I think the results spoke for themselves.
1: <laughs> There's the spin. That's what we <laughs> were looking for.
3: But, no, I mean, in a lot of these seats, right? I mean, like... Every single thing that we did ended up being necessary to win. I think if you look at the Dana Rohrabacher race, I mean, there was, I think, 17 candidates on the ballot. It was insane. Um, but, you know, we got behind the guy who's the strongest candidate in that race, Harley Ruda, who's now leading in polling. So I think we made the right you decision. You that twice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we took out, we applied negative pressure to one of the Republicans, and we did something that was a little bit controversial. We actually aired positive ads on behalf of a lower-tier Republican. Yeah, Republican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the margin was so small, yeah. and all those things added up yeah. to a win for us.
2: You, I know you're out uh, as a gay man, and you've written about that, uh, you know, I think at least one column that we saw. What's it like being, uh, what was it like being gay in Texas, I guess? Did you come out when you were there, and and, and, and how... How does that play into your role as uh, working for the DCCC in California?
3: Yeah, I, I think that is. Um, I'm glad you did some. You did a deep dive in there. Yeah, on we, we on, found, on that uh, yeah. found that 270 Facebook guy
2: Marzorati found that
3: right. somewhere. <laughs> good 270 shout out. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things. I, I was out in Texas. Um, you know, like I Texas is an interesting you know, place for being out. We, you know, Anise Parker was a long time, you know, openly lesbian mayor of Houston. Excellent public servant one of like you know of the country's largest cities um i for a long time i tried to like separate those things you know like sexual orientation with you know like your politics mm. but um ultimately lgbtq people you don't have an option your identity is political you don't have an option i mean cuz <laughs> You know, we talked earlier, Dana Rohrabacher, you know, a congressman representing Laguna Beach and Newport Beach. I mean, he's advocating for discrimination against housing in a majority of states in the United States, including my home state, uh, Texas. It's legal to fire someone just on the orientation. Um, You know, like those are those are motivating things for me. And I think they're for a lot of people.
2: And you feel like those things are at risk right now in this country? Yeah,
3: I think that's absolutely the case. We've already seen some of the rollbacks, you know, like trying to ban transgender troops from the military, um, you know, folks who just want to serve.
2: Yeah. We are out of time, I'm so sorry oh God, to say. Yeah. Uh, we just got started, but, you know, it's better to leave them wanting more. That's, that's, <laughs> what we, that's what we say that's around here. That's our advice to that's, you, <laughs> Drew. Exactly. Drew Godinich, thanks so much for coming in.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: That does it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio.
1: You can check us out anytime on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate, review, subscribe, tell us how amazing or terrible we are.
2: Talk about Drew, if you'd like, actually. Sure. Uh, producer today, and as always, Guy Marzorati. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Ethan Lindsay is our managing editor. Holly Kernan is our vice president of news. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer, although I'm going to shut Twitter off uh, tomorrow because I'm going to be gone for a few weeks.
1: I will not shut off Twitter. And Guy will be here to fill Scott's seat uh, while he is off, not gallivanting. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at MLagos. That is a wrap for this week's political breakdown from KQED. See you next time. See you later.